Kia ora tātou. Today's reading is from Luke and it's chapter 23 verses 32 to 49. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, He breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. Thank you, Laurie, for bringing us our reading today. And today, Easter Sunday, we finish our series on the message of the cross that we've been doing over this past term. And Luke 23 might seem like a strange place to go on Easter Sunday. Today is, after all, the day we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead. Today is about the empty grave and what it means. I'm the one who started uh, today with a reading from Luke 24 and the woman finding the empty grave. So why... Why are we going back a chapter? Why are we going back to the cross? I don't know if that was your question, but it's the question I want to answer because I want us to enter into this story, this particular story that Luke gives us and see uh, the surprising thing that he wants us to see. And I firmly believe that Luke, who wrote this account of Jesus's life, recognized God's hand in these events surrounding Jesus's cross. And what they teach us. And it is a really surprising lesson. Because while many of Jesus' closest disciples had at this time deserted him, and others were confused and disillusioned over his death, and others, like the loyal woman on Easter morning that we heard about earlier, were still looking for him in a grave, some, some who were not disciples, got it. They had already got it. At least one man, a criminal, 
who'd probably never spent a day of his life with Jesus before the one he spent on a cross next to him. He got it. He understood it. He had faith. And amazingly, as Jesus told him, he got to enter into the reward of the cross that very day. Before Jesus had even risen from the dead, while the enemies of Jesus were still celebrating their seeming victory, this criminal got to celebrate an eternal victory. Which is a little surprising, isn't it? This is not what we would expect, but the cross is all about God doing the astonishing. And I want us to notice three things about this criminal on a cross next to Jesus. Firstly, I want us to notice his understanding of God, his understanding of God, that he understands that God is just, perfectly just, and we are right to fear him because he will call us all to account. Secondly, I want us to notice his faith in Jesus. He grasped that Jesus was innocent of all wrong. He knew that Jesus was from God and was God. And he appealed humbly to Jesus to save him. And this is what faith looks like. Lastly, I want us to notice Jesus's promise to this criminal. A promise that he would not be forgotten. That his grave would not hold him. But that very soon he would be with Jesus in paradise. These three things I want us to notice. Well, let's get into it. And Luke tells us that at Jesus's crucifixion, he wasn't the only one on a cross. He wasn't the only one being crucified that day. There were, in fact, two other criminals being crucified with him. Maybe this is an example of Roman efficiency. Anyway, the Gospel of Mark refers to these criminals as rebels. So quite possibly uh, they were murderers. Uh, you weren't generally crucified for graffiti after all. But the important point that Luke wants us to know about this situation, so we can picture it rightly, is that one was crucified on Jesus's right. This is my right, probably your left. And one on his left. Uh, this small detail is important because we are going to see a separation, a distinction between these two criminals, which centers around Jesus. They are not just literally, but figuratively going to take different sides over Jesus. And in verse 34, Jesus does an amazing thing. He prays for those who put him on the cross. He asks God to forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. They are unaware of who he is and what is really going on. Uh, they are ignorant and what an ignorance it is. I'm sure we've all made the mistake of assuming something wrongly about someone. Maybe it was that woman we thought was pregnant but wasn't. Uh, that is not a good one to get wrong. But what ha was happening here, what was going on on these cross, was on a completely different scale. These people had no real comprehension of the insult and wrong they were committing here. It's one thing not to recognize God knocking at your door. It's one thing to turn your back on him, but it is another thing to nail him to a cross. And that's the heart of what is going on here, isn't it? 
These people do not realise who Jesus is. They don't realise the magnitude of their insult to him. This would be like a slave in days gone past, unbeknowingly beating up the king's son. Uh, Not a good move, is it? That will most certainly come back to bite you, won't it? But Jesus prays, he asks for their forgiveness. With the nails still in his hands that they have hammered in, Jesus prays for him. And and that's just remarkable, isn't it? If we want to really know what is in a person's heart, we look at the times they are in pain, don't they? Don't we? When their back is to the wall, that is when we see what they truly value. And Jesus' prayer here speaks volumes of his heart. He knows his mission and he shows it right now in this prayer. He has come to save people from their sin and he has an incredible and amazing heart of compassion, doesn't he? If he can pray like this for people who have attacked him and maligned him and put him on his cross and are in fact about to rub it in his face, is there a sin of ours? That is too big for him to handle. There isn't. There isn't. And any time we question a sin of ours, let us think of Jesus' prayer here. Let us think of his incredible heart of compassion and mercy. Well, despite Jesus' heart and prayer for them, Jesus' suffering isn't finished yet. And Luke gives us three groups who will all take this time to continue abusing Jesus, one after another, saying basically the same thing to him. They will now hammer more nails into him with insults. And first up in verse 35, it is the rulers. These are officials or leaders who we're told sneer at Jesus, belittling him, that if he saved others, let him save himself, if he truly is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. These rulers do not like Jesus because, as a leader, he was a threat to their power. And yet how wrong they are. Jesus came as God's Messiah, the Chosen One, not to save himself, but to give his life to save them. It is they who don't recognize God's Messiah and what a danger that is. They don't even recognize the lifeboat that is right in front of them. And next up are the soldiers who likewise mocked Jesus, ridiculing him that if he is the king of the Jews, then he should save himself. Uh, Soldiers, of course, know what it is to have someone in authority over them. And Jesus was indeed physically over them. Uh, They'd put him there. But he didn't seem like he had a lot of authority as a king. And to make the most of this point, they had posted a sign over Jesus' head saying that he was the king of the Jews. This was the charge against Jesus. And we know from the Gospel of John that this sign was in the three common languages of the time. Aramaic, Latin and Greek. All three because they wanted the full effect in humiliating the Jews that this was their so-called king hanging on a cross. Look at his strength. Look at his majesty as he gasps for breath and dies naked and humiliated. 
uh, like so many others. He can't even save himself. What a joke of a king. But these soldiers didn't know the strength that they needed. They didn't know the power of what was happening right before them. If Jesus came down from the cross, there would be no hope for them or anyone else. And lastly, there is one of the criminals. Whether he was on Jesus's right or left, we don't know. What we do know is that he joined in this insulting of Jesus. And isn't this just life? You can be nailed to a cross yourself, looking at your death all too soon and still not pass up the opportunity to rub it in someone else's face. But despite his insults to Jesus, Jesus wasn't helpless or powerless on the cross. In John 10, Jesus told the Jews that no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Now, they didn't understand what he meant when he said that originally. And for all these groups, a suffering saviour didn't make sense. A crucified king didn't compute and a murdered Messiah was an oxymoron to them. And we can be, we can all be like these groups. So often we have our assumptions about God, about what he will do and what we truly need from him. We look at Jesus and especially at the cross and he, he just doesn't make sense to us. He is not giving us what we expect or what we want. But this is not true of everyone. Oddly and amazingly, the other criminal on the other side of Jesus rebukes the first saying, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man this criminal is in the same position as the first, but he sees things very differently and he responds very differently. And his response shows us his understanding of God. He recognized that God was someone to be feared, to be respected. Why? Because God will be judging them soon enough. He tells us that they are getting what they deserve for their actions as they suffer on the cross. Which really makes you wonder what they did to deserve it. But soon enough, they will be facing God's judgment. And that should cause them to think twice. It should cause us to think seriously about what we are going to do and what we really need. This criminal, he wasn't a good man, but at some stage he must have heard about how holy and just God is. At some stage, he had got a right understanding of God, and I'm guessing, and this is just a guess, his cross, his imminent death had brought things into a sharp focus for him. He was getting what his actions deserved. Okay, so what he needed, what he truly needed was God's mercy. He needed God to be amazingly gracious to him because his judgment was the one that really mattered. He needed a divine friend to stand up for him. And amazingly, on the cross, just next to him, he recognized he might have one. This criminal had a right understanding of God. 
that God was someone to be feared, to be respected above all, and that he would be judging him soon. And this brings us to the second thing this man shows us, his faith in Jesus, he his looking to Jesus. This man recognized that Jesus was innocent of deserving to die. How he knew this of Jesus, we don't know for sure. I'm guessing without TV and Netflix, people talked a bit more, and Jesus was the big news of the town. But either way, he recognized that Jesus was innocent as well as being from God. When he says to Jesus in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That single sentence is loaded with meaning. It tells us that he believed that Jesus would be favorably received by God. If you die and receive a kingdom from God, that rates as a favorable reception, doesn't it? Uh, we don't know if this man thought of Jesus as God's son and the second person of the Trinity, as we would describe Jesus today. But we can tell he thought of Jesus as God's Messiah, God's chosen one. He fully expected Jesus to have a real kingdom, and his request was that Jesus remember him in his kingdom. Doesn't that sound a little odd, asking Jesus to remember him, but, it, but it's really quite profound. This man was asking for Jesus's favor. He was asking for Jesus's friendship. And we know how Jesus prayed for those who put him on the cross. We know Jesus's heart to rescue people, don't we? So was Jesus going to turn this guy down on the cross next to him? No. No, he wasn't, and he didn't. This man, this criminal, this rebel shows us what faith looks like. It looks like trusting in Jesus' goodness, Jesus' friendship to save you and make you right with God. And this brings us to Jesus' response. And please let these words from verse 43 sink in. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that incredible? I doubt Jesus had ever met this man before, but here, hours, maybe minutes from death, Jesus shows us the goal of his cross, that we would be with him. Currently, we are all separated in our homes, and for good reason. But let's be clear, this is not God's plan for us. This is living in a fallen world as pilgrims, but it is not God's goal for his people, for his family. God's plan and God's reason for sending Jesus is that we would be with him, that we would enter into his presence and remain there always, that we would finally know the relationship, the closeness, the intimacy with him that we were created for. The word uh, translated here as paradise is the same word used in some translations of the Garden of Eden, where God walked with Adam and Eve. And Jesus' sure promise to this criminal, this rebel, is that he won't be forgotten. That that very day he died, he would be with Jesus and be home 
that there was a place for him in Jesus's kingdom. And isn't this so surprising? Here is a criminal, a rebel, hanging on a cross, but hearing good news. Hearing that he won't be forgotten. Hearing that he has a place in God's kingdom because he has a place with God's Son. This is the message of the cross and it is the message that the empty tomb proves. That because Jesus has died and lives... So will we. I pray that we will not wait for a cross or perhaps the beep of a heart monitor to get right with God. To realize our true need before him. May we do that today because that is the call of this criminal. Do we fear God? Are we prepared to meet him? Do we have someone to speak up for us, a friend who will remember us in God's presence, a friend who has a place for us? If we don't, then today is that day. He will not turn us down. And if we do, if we have put our faith in Jesus, if we have called out to him to be our friend before God, then let us live As his friend. Let us live as his brother and sister. Let us live to make his friendship known. That his mission is not yet fulfilled. And he would have many more in his kingdom. May we have the same heart. The same compassion. The same mercy that he had. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, we remember, we look back to that empty tomb and we rejoice that it is the proof of your promise. That yes, you have come and died in our place. You have paid the price for our sin and wickedness. That we might not be separated from God, our heavenly father. But that we might have a place with you and a place with him. A place in your kingdom. And what a joy this is. We celebrate it today. Oh, the hope and the assurance we have. And we are so thankful for your goodness to us. Yes, Lord, for your compassion and mercy to us that even though we don't deserve it, even though we have done things, maybe not quite like that criminal, but even though before you we are all criminals, you would indeed come and love us and die for us that we might live for you. And we pray in this interim time, as we wait the day where we will see you face to face, that we would indeed live as your brothers and sisters. We would live as your friends, carrying on your mission to make you known, carrying on your mission until we indeed enter your kingdom, until we indeed we are with you forever. We pray this in your name, the name in which we live. Amen.